Welcome back to another awesome episode of Traveling Through the 80s with the 80s Kid. I'm your host, Rich Oliver, and always with me is my co-host, Kyle Lentz. Hello, hello. And always dashingly debonair, Don Brown. I mean, I'm not I'm not always with you, Rich. We do live in separate houses, but definitely here in spirit, too, sometimes. All right, well, well you, you just ruined the fantasy. See, Sorry. that's how you... <laughs> All right. And uh, Kyle, what is yes. going on this week? What do we have? Oh, we got some excitement this week. We have a very, very special guest. So we are very excited to be talking to an 80s icon as well as a current icon. He's definitely been uh, from the <laughs> 70s to now still working. Icon pushing into his 80s. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we're, we're going to talk to Bruce Valanche, uh, the great comedy writer. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. How could, I, how could I resist? You know, how often do I get to uterine, uh, Utica? Yeah. <laughs> uterine, whichever. We'll take it. Exactly. All right. <laughs> well, thanks so much for being here. We definitely were very excited to have you on because uh, we know we've got so much we want to talk to you about because you've you've been writing so many uh, amazing uh, uh, you know, things for, for so many different things, you know, the Oscars, yeah. you know, written movies, TV specials, everything uh, under the sun. So we're definitely uh, uh, grateful to have you here on the show with us today. Thanks. So, Thanks. so well, um, let's let's get kind of go to you. Here. Oh, thank you. And, yeah, well, let's kind of go back to your, your origins. I'm actually uh, writing a book now about all the things that people ask me about on podcasts, uh, which mm-hmm. is about all the pieces of shit that I wrote. I mean, <laughs> we're allowed to say that on this podcast. I'm not I sure. Go yeah, for okay. it. Um, you know, I mean, they're, they're just the Star Wars holiday special, the Paul Lind Halloween special, the Brady Bunch Friday Hour, Wayne mm-hmm. Newton Sea World, the Ice Pirates. I mean, all of these things that have become iconic over the mm-hmm. years because of yeah. the internet, and a whole generation of people who were not alive when I when I committed these felonies are now uh, interested in them. So I'm writing a book. It's called "It Seemed Like a Bad Idea at the Time." Oh. I- <laughs> And it's about how all of these things happen because people, you know, the first question they say is, how did that happen? Which is true. You know, it is, you know, it's a a good question. You know, how? Well, yeah, because when you're not, when you're not in the business, once you're in the business, you realize that shit happens. I mean, things, the least, but what it be, uh, what you also learn is that sometimes they happen overnight and sometimes they take years to gestate. And you're never sure which one it's going to be. <laughs> and it, I mean, it can go either way. Right, right, have, yeah. Somebody said, let's do that. And tomorrow they're calling me with a deal memo. You know, <laughs> wow. It'll just be forever, you know. The rights yeah. will expire. People will die. You're dealing with some cousin who had no idea that this was worth any money. You know, so mm-hmm. it's an aspect. So where, when anyway, did you get started? So you ask a question because I'll prattle on, you know, what got you started in comedy writing? What, what brought you into that? Well, I looked in the mirror and said, funny. <laughs> <laughs> I was a child actor. I was never a child star. Or we'd be having this conversation in rehab. <laughs> they don't do well. But I, I was a child actor. And my, my parents recognized I was happy when I was dancing around, making faces and telling cracking jokes. And my mother had great timing. And she had a, came from a whole family of characters one of whom, Uncle Mickey, was a Catskills comic. He was not a successful Catskills comic, but he was of the breed. 
And <laughs> so I kind of grew up surrounded by all that. And, and uh, they loved the theater. We I grew up in Jersey. We went to New York all the time. So I was always interested in it. And, and my my parents said, well, I, I taught myself to read looking at the ads for movies and newspapers. Mm. Back when they had ads oh, for movies. Yes. Back when yeah. they had newspapers. Yeah, so, right. Right. So I, uh, so I was just, it was all, always kind of a part of it. And uh, I was, as I got older, uh, I was no longer a child actor and I, uh, I had a deep voice and I was heavy and I looked 40. I always looked old. I was a 40 year old child. I looked very old. And uh, I was uh, auditioning against real actors who, you know, were really all those things. And so I wasn't getting cast and I began writing about that. And uh, they said, well, uh, you, you seem to have a talent for writing. Maybe you could go into journalism. Newspapers will never die. Go oh, no. <laughs> and they were afraid I would never make a living as an actor. So I, uh, um, so I had a, I, I went to Ohio State and had a journalism and theater degree. And when I got out of uh, uh, college, I went to work for the Chicago Tribune, being a feature mm-hmm. writer and writing a lot about show business and meeting a lot of people who came through town who were, you know, Hollywood types. And one of them was Bette Midler, who was just starting out. She was on Broadway in Fiddler on the Roof, playing one of the daughters. And uh, and uh, she had this act that she was working on. And, and I re- reviewed her, a friend of mine knew her. And she liked the what I wrote. And she said, you're very funny. I said, you're funny. You should talk more. And she said, you got any lines? And that was the <laughs> beginning of a relationship which has lasted to this day. Which, oh, I mean, it just doesn't, it, it's 50 years. I mean, again, clutching my heart. Where's my digitalis? And, uh, <laughs> but you know, she won't quit. She says, you know, I'm not retiring. You can't make me. That's her mantra. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. I love it. Yeah. yeah that's so awesome. that, and then as a result of her, uh, a lot of other people came to me and asked me. And so I, uh, after five years, I moved out to Hollywood and uh, started doing variety television mm-hmm. and uh, cable kind of killed that, but uh, I branched out Sure. and I still act. So and I, now I get cast, but, you know, it's hard because I'm a type. <laughs> <laughs> so now, how did, now you, 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 like you mentioned some of the specials you wrote, like the Paul Lane Halloween special, which is, yeah. you know, it's, it's so memorable. If you, if you get the chance it, to watch every it. Every year. I mean, it's one of those yeah. things. It's like there are so few things at Halloween that you can, you can share with your family or with your mm-hmm. extended lunatic friends. I mean, that's yeah. why Hocus Pocus lives. I mean, we did right. Hocus we finally did Hocus Pocus 2 after 30 years, and uh, it was a gigantic hit for Disney+. Plus. Oh, it was it was actually oh, yeah. really good. I enjoyed and it very I, much. I just, I, last year, did the Paul Lynn Christmas special for mm-hmm. RuPaul's uh, uh, channel, uh, which is uh, where we recreated what would have been Paul's Christmas special. And we had a whole lot of people playing a whole lot of dead people. You know, <laughs> we had Liberace, Salminio, Tab Hunter, a lot of guys who were in the closet. Um uh, and uh, and the, and some fabulous drag queens, Jackie Beat, Lady Bunny, uh, and a guy who does Paul Lynn in Vegas, who's hilarious, Michael Arrington. And it, it's a very funny show, but it is like, you know, 40 years after the Paul Lynn Halloween special. Wow. Here <laughs> it, he comes. Here he comes yeah, again. There's kind of like a nostalgic feeling for those things. You, you know, the because the variety show was so big back in the, the 70s. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, it's trying yeah. to come back again uh, to a degree. Like reality shows might be a little bit darker side of the reality, yeah, right, that exactly. variety show, but it has I sort know. of. You know, you know, see people looking at an American family. They don't really watch that. They've made movies about an American family, but they don't actually watch those movies. 
the original. Also, right. life, life is, you know, different now. I mean, ask any screenwriter and it's, uh, you know, one of the reasons why there's so much interest in period and fantasy is because you don't have to play by the rules of, of, of contemporary life where everybody knows everything. And there are no more bar fights because rather than fight, you Google and you get the <laughs> real answers so you don't have to slug it out. You know, uh, mm-hmm. and that every plot, all plot developments, you know, are on people staring at a screen because they're finding information. So you go back to where there weren't those phones. I mean, you know, and, and you look at a thing like Game of Thrones, where they had to send a raven from one kingdom to another. <laughs> to get a message. Right. But there are yeah. dragons. There you go. Right. <laughs> exactly. So, you know. And I mean, that's, but I understand the appeal of that because contemporary is so cut and dry because everybody is texting and, uh, and, and every, and it, we're on a 24 hour news cycle and everybody knows everything every minute. Mm-hmm. And that's difficult to write to. That's difficult to write. You know, it's hard to have mistaken identity. It's hard to have coincidence because right. everybody knows where everybody is. Right. That is true. That you is can't true. say the call's coming from inside the house anymore. Right. (laughs) It's like watching you watch Home Alone now, and you're like, he could just get his cell phone or whatever. Exactly. Everything is everything's fine. Possible to be home alone, (laughs) right? Have to be the Unabomber to be home. Yeah. (laughs) So leading up to the holiday, the Star Wars holiday, especially the infamous Star Wars holiday, which I I've watched several times over the years, and you know it's it's still so charming in its own right. Uh, it's, it's, it is. Some of the- I mean, it's it's sort of ridiculous. I mean, right. course, it also is from a, a more uh, naive time, and also, uh, well, several things about it. First of all, if we knew that forty odd years later we'd still be talking about it, we might have paid closer attention. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was one crazy idea, uh, one crazy special after another. So it didn't seem so unusual, and essentially. It was George Lucas trying to, to keep uh, the, the, the Star Wars franchise on a, a low boil mm. uh, while he was making The Empire Strikes Back. He only had the movie. And, of course, he also have to remember, and this upsets uh, Star Wars people terribly, that a lot of people didn't think that much of Star Wars. It was one movie. It was a, a summer blockbuster, but it was like a, like a parody of Old Republic studio serials. Right, that an older yeah. generation went to see in the movies on Saturday morning, mm-hmm. where there would be cliffhangers and there would be you'd wipe from one scene to another, and all those devices that that George took from his childhood. Yeah. Uh, so and so it wasn't there wasn't this reverence for the canon. It hadn't become the Scientology of the nerds. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, but what happened was after the three movies, you know, he took a break and then three movies showed up on this new thing called VHS and then on an even newer thing called the internet. And so uh, the interest brewed and, and, and people found the, the, the holiday special and were felt betrayed saying, George, how could you lend yourself to this? And so he was trying to, you know, buy up all the copies, which is hilarious. But every time he does another Star Wars project, it comes back. Mm-hmm. And in fact, he, he finally owned it. He sold the rights to Lego and oh, they did, okay. uh, as part of his Disney deal. And nice. they did a Disney Plus special a couple of years ago, Star yes. Wars Legos, mm-hmm. with, uh, with a Lego Daisy Ridley, who looked 
distressingly like Rosie O'Donnell. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, so for all of us, it's a cautionary tale when they make your Lego. You don't know who you're going to turn out looking like. Yeah. <laughs> it was weird. They all have the same body type. That's but at the time, it was, it was one, just one, like, insane thing after. And, of course, the other thing is, uh, is that, if, as I've said many times, if you remember the 70s, you weren't there. <laughs> it was a blend it was the holdover drugs from the 60s and the new stuff yep. coming in and just the whole idea of you know if you remember it it, it so so uh we were we were fairly baked a lot of the time now i say this on podcasts and then i see you know a, a, somebody sent me a blog saying valanche who admits to copious drug abuse well i mean i embroider you know, I mean, I was working, I was writing, so no, I wasn't. I mean, I joked that Carrie Fisher and I would snort the sweet look. <laughs> wow. Because it, it was there, and as you spilled it, yeah. make, putting it in your coffee, we'd go down with a straw. But that, I mean, you know, I'm kidding. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Of course. Well, I think we're we're in a unique... Well, I see a, a shaggy unique, dog, I get excited. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we're in a unique you know, era because we grew up as kids watching it. So anyone that yeah. might've been an adult or a teenager mm -hmm. would look at that when it came out as, Oh, that's campy. That's, but we were watching Carol, but so we knew who Harvey, you know, Harvey oh, right. was. We, knew, yeah. we knew all the people that were in it and we were excited yep. because now we're seeing star Wars on TV. We don't have to mm -hmm. go to the theater. We're seeing our favorite characters. Yes. And so 100%. We, I think, so when we look at it, we don't look at it as, you know, the train wreck that everyone all calls uh -huh. it. It's a piece of our nostalgia that we, we, you know, we were in uh -huh. Risa and and we got to, I mean, we were watching Mark Hamill and, and R2-D2 and C-3PO mm -hmm. and the Muppets. It's like, all, we're like, give us more because you, you yes. couldn't get to the movie as a young kid. Right. So I think we have a unique perspective on that holiday special that we, we truly mm -hmm. love it and embrace it for what it was and for the time. Absolutely. That, okay. 100%. Because I do remember that night it aired. I remember yeah. being glued to that TV right at that time when it started and, and watching it just absolutely just mesmerized by it because yeah. it was more star wars that's what i wanted right, and it was it was right there friday before thanksgiving week it was mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> that was it was great I, would hope was hoping life day would happen around then you know <laughs> he wanted to create <laughs> yeah, the an unofficial you know July, uh, did, did, he, May 4th. did he work with you regularly did you sit uh, with him he came down from marin and we had a, a couple of meetings a couple of days of meetings at which he explained uh what the show was and and why it was what it was he said he had 10 star wars stories written mm -hmm. and that he was going to make uh three movies and then and he was going to uh, uh did he say three or did he say six he was going to make six movies and which finally he did and then um uh, and he had, and then he had four other stories that he was selling off. Uh, one became a graphic novel, I think, called the, the Eye of the, the the Eye of the Moat, the Moat in the Eye, something like that. Well, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, I believe is. Oh, one. that's Splinter Mind. There you go. Yep. Um, uh, I forget. One of them was supposed to be Boba Fett, and uh, he couldn't get an animated feature out of Boba Fett, so he we wound up putting a short Boba Fett. Spot, right. you know, so, which is the only thing that really remains that people actually uni universally like. Mm -hmm. You know, it's oh my it's god, it's Bubba, and it's because it's a trivial pursuit question: where did Bubba Fett start? So, mm -hmm. um, um, and then he had this one story left, and he's and he sold it to CBS, and I think he expected it was going to be an original musical, 
because he, he thought, that's what he, I think he thought variety specials were. And of course, uh, A, that's not what they are. And B, if he was going to create an original musical, he probably would not have created one where the lead characters were Wookiees who cannot sing, dance, or speak any known language. <laughs> right. And who, in fact, sound like fat people having orgasms. When <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I know. But, uh, Funny that you say that, because we did talk about this recently, where we were saying, that's the one thing about the special that's really hard to get through, is because you don't know what they're saying, you know, you just kind of have to figure out what they're saying. Well, that the part, that's what you actually, and, you know, and also, they don't move well, you know, I mean, the right. little one, uh, Itchy, uh, with the most mobile of them, but the others were like, I mean, it was production to get them from point A to point B, Uh you never see, there's no scenes in Star Wars where anybody's chasing Chewbacca and he's outrunning them. Right, point. that's true. <laughs> he could climb a tree, probably, but they're, you know, not outrun them. Uh, <laughs> but, so we had, the, in addition that they couldn't speak, we, we couldn't use subtitles because it was 1978 mm -hmm. and the network said nobody will read subtitles, which I think is ironic. I mean, <laughs> when I met Lupia Nyong'o, I said, I told her this story. I said, couldn't you subtitles? She doesn't speak a word of English in any of the Star Wars movies. Everything she says is in some made-up language. You know, I say it's like it's a bastardized Klingon. <laughs> Lots of K's and, and vowels. And, and she, everything is subtitles. But, of course, right. now, you know, even uh, with the advent of streaming and Netflix, I put subtitles on everything. You know, if mm -hmm. I... If, if I watch some show that's set in Yorkshire, I don't know what the hell they're saying. Right. <laughs> they're speaking yep. English, but I don't know what they're saying. So I, I have subtitles. I mean, mm -hmm. you can go to New Zealand and, and, and spend your entire time in New Zealand miming what you need because a, 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 a Kiwi accent is so heavy sometimes. You truly can't discern what's being said. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that was what we had to deal with. We had to deal with the fact that we had, to, we had actors who couldn't speak and we had um, things that had to be explained. And that was why we had a character like Art Carney, who was mm -hmm. the intergalactic Tupperware salesman, who <laughs> was coming to give uh, Frau Chewbacca to try, you know, allegedly to sell her some uh, goods. But re in reality, he was part of the resistance. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. that was how the plot could move along. We had to have people who could say things and interpret what the Wookiees were trying to tell us. Right. That was not easy. What <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. And I, as I say, and they also don't burst into song, which seems to me, if you're going to do a musical, is a minimal requirement of the lead character. Yeah. It should be able <laughs> to be able to, to sing, right? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I, at least in the end, like, I, I mean, there's got to be some sort of vindication for yourself knowing that people have, it to a degree, embraced it more than than they did maybe back then. Um, well, truthfully, what you said, I haven't heard that that perspective from people. I mean, uh, maybe it's because they they have a deep need uh, to be hip, and the right. hip thing is to say, "Oh my God, this was so awful and ridiculous." Oh, right. They, they don't own the fact that they saw them when they were when they were children, and they really. Right. It. I mean, you know, I saw a lot of crap when I was a kid that I loved, and when I show it to people now, they kind of go, "Right." Well, yeah. <laughs> What were you on when you were a child? Were you like a little baby? What? You know, like a Sonia Henney movie. Sonia Henney was an Olympic ice skater 
who could not act at all, but she was a big movie star because nobody had ever seen ice skating. You know, in the 40s, there was no television, and they went to the movies and they saw things that they had not experienced in Iowa. You know, Carmen Miranda. Right. Esther Williams, a swimmer. I mean, it was an excuse for big production numbers. So, uh, and I embraced all that stuff. And you look at it now, and I mean, not those pictures, because they were, but Sonia Henney movies are a riot because they're all yeah. about getting her on the ice. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's not a, you know, you look at it now, even just, it, I think just that nostalgia is just really yeah. what, what helps you to really enjoy it more. And I showed it I to my, my older children and they watch it and they're looking yeah. at me like, what? You watch this? I'm like, well, yeah. I think there's a certain, well, because they're used to CGI and, yes. and yeah, and I mean, you even talk videos that are very quick. And yeah, I mean, I was, uh, in the, uh, I was in the background that HBO was on and they were showing Armageddon mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, the, the CGI has, uh, it, it exploded exponentially since they made Armageddon. And, yes. and you see why they remake Godzilla and King Kong because they have new things they can have them do with mm-hmm. CGI that, look, that they couldn't have them do the last time. And so I was looking at Armageddon saying, this looks really cheap. And you know, it wasn't cheap. It cost a right. pound. But it was, uh, but compared to what can be done now, uh, and, and I think somebody who was who grew up watching the current crop of stuff looks at yeah. something even as recent as 20, 25 years ago and goes, mm-hmm. what the fuck? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So now moving ahead a little bit, I, I definitely want to talk about Ice Pirates. Oh, um, yeah. Because that's one that I have. I have such a, a warm place in my heart for. I grew oh, really? up watching that because of the first time I got to see it. I didn't get to see it in theaters, but I remember being in the video store and that that artwork on the cover was it Richard Amsel, is that who did the yes, Richard poster with the uh-huh. you know the adventure lettering? And I'm like, oh, I'm, that's I'm on it. I'm on my throne. Yes, yes. I'm the on Emperor right. and his bird <laughs> with my bird. My yes, bird. that throne was the lobby of the Los Angeles Theater. Oh, really? Great wow. big movie palace, which at the time was showing Mexican porn. And <laughs> <laughs> and it had, it's it's all I mean there's many a whole bunch of scenes shot in, in there the throne there was the grand staircase that goes up to the mezzanine and the throne was at the top of the staircase and we we had the Amazons were on the on the stair we did a lot of things uh, when they uh, take my head and I'm a prisoner my head is a prisoner that is the ladies room of the Los Angeles Theater oh no kidding it was wow. it was those theaters were built like. 3,000 people, and the ladies' room was where women could go, and, and they had fainting couches. Oh. <laughs> because, I, I, you know, it was all, because, and they, because there were so many women using them, they had big vanity tables because they would do their makeup and stuff. Right. And so it's gigantic, and it's all obviously empty of, of anything. But uh, it's, uh, and many movies have been shot there, a lot of stuff. We shot there um, when we did Gypsy with Bet. We shot at the Los Angeles Theater. Oh, okay, that's it's, cool. It's not that's occasionally somebody will use it as a theater, but uh, not not too much. But and it, and you know it was already you know we had to fluff it up for the ice bars. <laughs> of course, but it right. really ha- it really was so. I mean, you can imagine it was just you know like a porn house. So there were God knows right Tony <laughs> Island white over the place. I would explain the fainting couches maybe. Then. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so what, 
what brought you to like what, what was the inspiration for ice pirates what what got you to well uh, yeah uh it was supposed it started out as an adventure as a, a straight-off action movie and it was developed by a guy named john foreman who was an agent who became a producer he was Paul Newman's agent, and they mm-hmm. formed a company called Newman Foreman, and they produced Paul's movies. And so he was a producer, and he had a deal at MGM. And uh, he had an office on the lot, and he developed Ice Pirates. And um, uh, it was it was poking along and poking along, and um, MGM had, uh, it, the television division of MGM had a show on the air called Vegas with mm-hmm. Robert Urich. Yeah. Yep. And oh, yeah. he was a big TV star. And as part of his re-upping, they had guaranteed him some a certain number of features so he could become a movie star. <laughs> and the first one had not done terribly well. It was about, you may, I can't think of the name of it, but it was about some sort of strange mad cow disease. He was the sheriff in Montana and somebody was killing cows and helicopters were dropping dead cows in fields. And I forget it. it, it it's certainly worth seeing. Oh, absolutely. It was not not a success. And uh, uh, John pitched him Ice Pirates, where he could be Harrison Ford. And so that appealed to him. But then he he, uh, said um, he went to uh, to the head of the the head of the studio at Frankie Blondes and said, well, I think this." and your blonde said, no, no, it's they got to do something different with it. We can't just do an imitation. So John thought, let's make it more of a comedy spoof of a kind of Star Wars thing. And he brought in Stuart Raffle, who was a director who'd done action and comedy. And Stuart had an idea, and he re- he went and, and wrote it as a comedy. And um, while this was all happening, the head of the studio was fired. And John <laughs> became the head of the studio. So he immediately oh. greenlit the Ice Pirates. Awesome. And <laughs> rushed into production. And they said, but, you, but it needs some more funny stuff in it. So they brought me in. To, to do a rewrite or to ins- insert funny stuff into it, space herpes and things like that. So, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, now, Weird Wendon was, was uh, Stuart's idea. The evil emperor whose body had been gambled away in various poker games and was just a head that they kept on putting on bodies. And Paul Williams was going to play the part. Mm-hmm. And um, about two weeks before the start date, Paul quit. He said, I, I, he was having a lot of problems. He said, I can't do it. And so Stewart said, you be weird women. And so, <laughs> well, you know, famous for my head already. So why not do that? So I became weird women and I rewrote and they said, no, we don't see him entering on page three. <laughs> he comes in later with the story. He's not the lead. So we started doing the thing and um, we, we were shooting it and, and uh, about it was like a three-month schedule. About two months in, uh, they fired John Foreman as head of the studio. And so he, picked, he went from the Irving Falberg suite back down to his, his bungalow office. And the new guy who came in said, oh, no, we got to wrap this, this picture up right away. And he was slashing the whole production schedule. And that oh is God. why then we came up with the time warp device. Because okay, we had yeah. all of this this plot to cover that we couldn't shoot, so we had everything happen in in, in stop time and fast motion time work kind of thing. Okay. So we wrapped the thing the night we had one scene left that was that was crucial and we were shooting it. And Culver City had a power failure; the whole city went out. Oh, and wow. so 
we had to call the guy and say, we need one more day to finish this thing. And he said, okay, but you know, eight hours, the next day the power came on, we shot the thing and, and it had to wrap. While this was going on, on the last day, Mel Brooks walked in, mm. who I knew, and he said, I'm doing a, uh, I'm doing a, a Star Wars spoof. And I want to look at your sets. I think maybe I could use your sets and save some money. So we actually, they, they moved our set budget to his budget because he had a much bigger budget for Spaceballs. And right. uh, he had a whole special effects thing going on. You know, we didn't have any of that. So uh, uh, so some of the sets can be seen in Spaceballs as well. Oh, cool. Is, I didn't realize so that. That's a changing thing. And then, our, our, so our picture was kind of like in limbo. And it got marketed and it got released uh, while this new guy was not paying much attention until the weekend it opened. And it was actually a half-assed hit. I oh. mean, Monday morning, they were all calling and saying, look at the numbers on the Ice Pirates. Look, people showed up. <laughs> you know, I mean, I can't even quote the figures now because it means nothing because everything is it's 40 years ago. So yeah. you have to add zeros to everything. But right. it was actually, and, and the uh, marketing, the exit polls were good. People liked it. They enjoyed it. They thought it was funny and silly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm sure, uh, you know I'm, I'm sure Mel wasn't thrilled because he had a big space movie coming out. But, right. you know, it just kept going. And then what happened to it was Ted Turner bought the studio and he got the entire library. And he loved this movie. That's and awesome. he, at the time, he had, I think, three or four uh, cable channels. And he showed it on all the cable channels he could show yeah. on, over and over again. Okay. It got this TV audience. That was amazing. Now, Angelica, Angelica Houston, this was mm-hmm. her, her second picture. She was John Houston's daughter. And her first picture she'd made in, in Europe with Moshe Dion's son, a soft Dion. Nobody saw that. This was her second movie, and off of it, she got Princey's Honor, which John okay. Ford produced in John Houston, and she won the Oscar. So they all wanted to show Angelica Houston movies. Well, there were two other Angelica Houston pictures. <laughs> so back it came. It was on CBS. It was on TNT. It was on everything all over. Yeah. To the yep. point where, to this day, 40 years later, whenever I see Angelica, I say, how's it going? She says, I can't get rid of that fucking picture. No matter what I do, <laughs> the first thing they ask me is, what was Ice Pirates like? Mm-hmm. She says, what is wrong with my life? <laughs> and, and, a state actress now, but you know, I'm, I'm, yeah. about it because it's one of those things. And I think that a lot of it has to do with the, the, um, the video, home video and the, mm-hmm. the exposure on television. And, and it's that kind of a movie where it's, you know, people watch it together and they can play drinking games and, you know. Yeah, it's it's, it's a fun movie. Just it's from fun. It's just, it's it really just ridiculous. And there's so many bizarre. I mean, John Matuzak, the football player. Yes. You know, and, oh, my God, he was such so coked up most of the time. In fact, one day he drove off the lot and smashed his car into the gates of MGM. Oh, my God. And we all came running out in costume. It was like a scene from a Martian invasion picture. We're all running out in our costumes to see if he's okay. He was okay. But, I mean, he was he was great fun. I would like to yeah. say that. I mean, he wasn't coked up all the time, but he did have a predilection. But he was, um, and it was the 80s. Uh, he, was, he was a lot of fun. You know, he was just, he was, he was a great deal of fun. And, uh, and 
he went on to play uh, Sloth in the Goonies, which was a yeah. He got yeah. Uh, he was in it, and John Carradine, mm-hmm. yeah, father of the right. Carradine dynasty. Towards the end, he was in it. Uh, there, I mean, there was it was uh, Mary Crosby, who was Bing Crosby's <laughs> daughter. All these people came to visit. <laughs> uh, yeah. Angelica was living with Jack Nicholson. He came down to hang out because he couldn't believe. He couldn't believe, you know, all the, the, the creatures wandering around. Ron Perlman, who became the Beast, yep. and later on, um, uh, Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, yeah. Sons of Hellboy, Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, I mean, we, and it was, we were, we were just all saying, what are we doing? But we were having, we were having a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. It, it definitely shows in the movie. Uh, that's yeah. why I like watching it. It just seems like such a, it's fun. I, I enjoy watching it for just the fun of it. Um, yeah. So, and I, we've talked to other people about the same type of thing where it takes like some time for, for really to build such an audience. And the fact that, like you say, it, it was able to get that, uh, that Turner play and then the Angelica Houston bump that yeah. really solidified well, it. It's always been one of those, uh, you know, those those subcutaneous cultural things. I mean, there are people who know that people kind of go, what? And there are people who worship it. And uh, But it has that, it just has that thing going. A lot of times, you know, I, I'll meet, people will come over and, the, you know, they know me from Hollywood Squares usually. But right. every now and again, somebody will come over and say, Wendon, I spy <laughs> And I, yep. know they're, I know they're deep. <laughs> yeah. Do do they ever have any like special screenings or anything? Have you have you ever attended those? Yeah, yeah you know they probably do, and I I'd be surprised because of of all of them, I'm the most uh, like accessible, you know. <laughs> so I'm surprised, but so I haven't heard anything about that. So if they, if it's happening, they've managed to ignore me. But uh, it should happen if it hasn't. It should, but yeah. maybe you know, maybe they chase after Angelica. I don't know. There you go. <laughs> so now Last thing she wants to do right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's like. Oh, <laughs> I'll conveniently be busy <laughs> that weekend. So now, I mean, you got into writing for the Oscars for a long time too. Yeah. You, wrote, you wrote the jokes and I did. I did twenty five years officially, and I get called wow. in. I get called in all the time by people who say, "Help me." Oh, so you still will sort of lend yeah, a hand? Yeah, so I'm not officially involved with right. anything, but you know, they know that I know they I know the show. A lot of times, uh, the show is written by uh, the. the the staff, the host has a talk show and he brings his staff of 12 people over and right. they're all writing for him, but they, they, they wind up having to write for other people and they don't know quite what to do about that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so that's, that's, you know, it, where I come in. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Cause you don't think about that. There's so many different hosts that have to come out and, you yeah. know, do their charming. They, they, yeah. The presenters and yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, you know, if you're lucky, you find people who are funny who want to do some kind of a, a, little, a little bit because you have to be sort of respectful. I mean, it's the Oscars, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, no matter how hard they try to debase it, it still is, it still is a big deal. And you're talking about things, even though you may not be talking about things for long. I mean, right. a year from now, people may, people may say who won last year. Oh yeah. The fat guy, you know, <laughs> I mean, the, yeah, because they, I mean, they could, they ask anybody who won the year, you know, ask them this year who won last year and they, they don't yeah. remember. Like, oh. <laughs> exactly. it's so, yeah. So now do you, do you usually write for um, Bette Midler's movies or at least like, uh, well, I have Midlerized a few of them. Yes. 
I mean, I, I look at I look at them all, and, and I have actually Midlerized. I mean, Hocus Pocus, yes, because uh, that was such a very special character, Winnie. I mean, she has her own way of speaking, her own sort of patois, and the uh, the, the guys who wrote it originally um, wrote that. But you know, we embellished it, and uh, this Hocus Pocus too. A wonderful writer named Jen D'Angelo, who wrote Modern Family for years, mm. wrote it. And uh, she was concentrating a lot on the next generation of witches who are, you know, young and who speak in, in emojis and LOLs mm. and OMGs. And, but Winifred has no idea what any of that is. Mm. She's, you know, she's coming in with high old English, O-L-D-E English. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so I came in on that, yeah. Mm. And, and it was one, uh, the second film was was as good as the first. I felt um, I thought they actually did a really it, good job. Fun. I thought that was terrific. She had a lot to do. I mean, her character was, was really rich, and I mean, uh, the, the level of success that it's had. I mean, they are actually talking about another one. Really? Think, well, I mean, what can they? The second right. time they've killed off these witches, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the first time they had they they were dead four hundred years when they came back, and now right. the second time they'd only been dead thirty. So I guess they got to trim it down to only like maybe ten. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, this last one, our major concern was that that it's no secret that all three of them had had work, and they were not going to look the same as they looked thirty years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and they sure as hell were not going to look worse than they looked thirty. Right. Years. All right. All right. <laughs> So now what? <laughs> yeah, oh, well, for sure. But yeah, it was, it was, now is there realized. other? Now are there other like other of her movies that you you got to uh, to doctor up and? Oh yeah, I can never talk about those. those oh, okay, the NDA is galore. Sure. But I mean, I read a lot, a lot of other, a lot of other television, and I have a, a stage musical I've just written during oh, COVID, cool. which is about a. Uh, it's a small show about a guy, a 40-year-old gay comic who never happened, is working at a comedy club as a waiter in New York, and COVID hits, and he has to quarantine in the attic of his parents' home in Longview, Texas, <laughs> where he has an intimate relationship with his imaginary friend, Dolly Parton. <laughs> <laughs> he comes off of a poster, and because uh, she sees he's in trouble. And uh, it's him and Dolly and five musicians. And uh, it's called Here You Come Again. Sounds like a porno, but it's Here You Come Again, How Dolly Saved My Life in 12 Easy Songs. And uh, we did it on a grant from a theater in Florida. And we did a Zoom with actors. And, wow. uh, and, and they loved it. And I had to go to Dolly and get the music rights. And I thought, well, this is not her brand. You know, she loved it. I'd written for her over years. Uh, she loved it, and she's now my partner. She's now our partner. Oh, and uh, we've oh, done hey. four productions of it. Uh, we, we premiered it in Delaware, and then we did uh, Palm Beach and uh, Dallas and Pittsburgh. And now May 17th, we open in Nashville. Oh, cool. Where, where, wow. where I am trying to orchestrate her appearance because you know, she's very busy between curing leprosy and coming up with a cake mix. <laughs> a million right. things that she's doing. Right. Right. She does not stop. And I keep saying, why? Well, Bruce, I have no kids. Where's the money going to go? <laughs> yeah. oh. is, is there hopes of it making its way to Broadway? 
Well, uh, it's small for Broadway. I mean, we aimed it small, and uh, uh, we just want to see what happens. It it really works, but it's in, it works in small venues, and you know, possibly mm -hmm. if we can, if we can, if it comes to that, uh, she had her eyes on uh, on a, a Broadway show, a, a, a biography show that would use all of her songs. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that uh, she she got burned on Nine to Five musical on Broadway. It's been oh, a success right. on Broadway, but. Um, so I don't. I, th I think that's going to be a Netflix movie. Yes. Oh, nice! Yeah. great. You know, she saw Beautiful, and she figured she said, "Well, if Carol King can do it, and sure. and only and, and the show ends at Tapestry, then you know, <laughs> I could do it, and it ends at Porter Wagoner." And I said, "Well, yeah, <laughs> you could." Sure. And oh, but meanwhile, there's there's this, which is totally it, other than the fact that it uses a catalog, it's not a show about her. Hmm. It's not. It's not a biography in any in any respect. Yeah, it's a complete fantasy. Um, so, but we'll see. You know, if maybe one of those small theaters. Uh, um, there are a couple of like mm -hmm. under a thousand seat theater, like the Golden the Booth. They're small, and maybe yeah, it could yeah. Well, Hopefully, at least a touring uh, production. Yeah. You know, you can go around with uh, to yeah. to to showcase it. That would be great. Well, we'll be in Connecticut this summer at the Goodspeed, which is uh, a great incubator in uh, which is uh, in East Haddam, which is between New Haven and Hartford, mm -hmm. and has a great audience that comes and supports them. Oh, fantastic! That's after Nashville. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. how, um, so, how how far along are you for for the book coming out? Uh, well, I I'm smelling the deadline already, so. <laughs> I'm getting closer. I'm, I'm almost done with the draft of it that we I can actually show people and cash check for. Excellent. Oh, nice. So we'll definitely be looking forward to that. Hopefully by, by year's end, maybe? I've, the plan is to have it around Oscar season next year because there'll be a oh, lot. perfect. Of there you go. Yeah. That'd be oh. fun, yeah. That'd, That'd be wait. perfect. Excellent. Right. Well, um, may, may, maybe when the book comes out, we'll be able to have you back on then. Absolutely. Of course. God willing, why not? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and don't change that fact up ever because I feel right at home. <laughs> this looked, looked like it looked like the ice pirate ship. <laughs> that um, sad craft. Flying. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Um, any? Do you guys have any other questions? Uh, I mean, just. I mean, yeah, we could. I we could talk to you for hours. I mean, you just have touched everything that you know as '70s kids, '80s kids, and, and growing up from Hollywood Squares and Paul Lind and and Donnie and Marie and Sonny and Cher, all of those incredible things. So I mean, it's just yeah. it just thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Oh, it's fun. Fans of the '80s and and fans of everything that right. you have have touched in some way or form. So. <laughs> Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, oh, behave, including the really, uh, now we're going Mexican, into me yeah. too territory. Yeah, I learned about Mexican porn, I didn't know that you know, yeah, uh, it existed. It's, it's a subset of, of porn. Now, to be fair, some of it could have been Honduran porn or okay, Holland porn. My money is on Mexican porn in 1983 right. in downtown Los Angeles. <laughs> Right. That, that that's a that's a niche. That is yeah. definitely a net. <laughs> Before it was D T L A, they call yeah. it. <laughs> oh excellent. Well thank you, thank right. you so much for joining us. Yeah, so great stories. So right. much fun. Uh, we really appreciate it. But 
Um, yeah, and right, hopefully we'll right get to right see you again. <laughs> All Thank right. You. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks, Bruce. Awesome. Yeah. That was great. Okay. Yeah, Don's right. I mean, you, you could sit there for 12, 24 hours, whatever. Oh, sure. Just, I'm yeah. sure he's got stories, you know, forever. Oh, I can imagine. If we got into the details of just, you know, shooting the holiday specials or the Pauline Hall- Halloween special, whatever, yeah. I'm sure those behind the scenes would be incredibly. Just, yeah, that, I mean, you could talk about just, just, just the Oscars alone. Like, what were the, you know, I mean, they always talk about the 89 one with, with Rob Lowe, which I think he's right. talking about before. It's like, but what was, that was, let's say the quote unquote worst one. What, what, what was the, was there one that he thinks is like nailed it? That was the best one or, you know, right. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, and he just keeps opening up more doors. It's like, okay, well, he was friends, you know, friends with Dolly well, Parton. It's like, okay, yeah. and, uh, you know, Bette I, I didn't realize he he wrote like all her stuff for Hocus Pocus, and I didn't stuff. either. Yeah, I think that's no. that's awesome. But really I mean, you 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 would you like when you mentioned the name, I really didn't correlate it. But once I saw his face, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. So I think that would be of the way a lot of people would go. They'd be right. like, who? And then they would see him and go, oh my god, that's the guy from. <laughs> Like you say, Hollywood Squares. Right. You grew up seeing him on specials and this and that. So, you know, he was all around back in the 70s and 80s, you know, yes. just for that reason. So, well, and I, uh, and I always like it when we do talk to someone like and they say that, well, no one's ever asked that or I never thought of it that way or no one's really brought up. I'm like, and truly, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's been slammed with, you know, well, the Holiday Festival was a piece of shit. It's like, yeah. right. It, it is, but not to us in 77 or 78 it's just like right. going back and you try to watch the a-team i'm like how did we as kids watch this it's not as exciting as it was when you're a kid watching it now to right. watch like is there right. a plot wait a minute no one's getting yeah, or, shot, or, any shot at there's no blood no one dies right or like dukes of hazard or stuff like that yeah, yeah you watch those yeah. now and it's like yeah they're they're just not as it, what they were back then to us but right. i think because of that we can enjoy them still yeah, and, and right. appreciate it. That yeah, it, okay, it isn't new, it isn't modern, and everyone's a critic now. Where they weren't before, right. there wasn't the internet for people <laughs> to talk about it. Everyone's talking in a little circle, so it wasn't you know like okay, I don't like that movie, I'm not going to see it. But the ones that did like it, you know, you're talking in your circle, so you kind of it was a whole different perspective. But yeah, mm-hmm. like right. I like seeing Harvey Corman. I bet you know um, B. Arthur. The, you know the scene where he he dumps the drink in his head yeah, was and, always and, one of my favorite parts. <laughs> I'm like, but go back and watch all the stuff from that era, and it's it is that vibe kind yeah. of thing, variety show, and yeah, that's you know, yeah, everything. that's all the '70s was. Well, it's like it, what like the reality Carl, show is today. That's what yeah. you the had TV landscape was. Guest stars coming on Carol Burnett and the little sketch things. It's like mm-hmm. everything was around that. You know, yeah, Hollywood Squares, all these these things, the variety hours. It was bringing in other famous people into other genres and other shows well, all the time. So it made be- perfect sense. Yeah, because back then, they, I mean, they didn't have the outlets they do today where they jump on like something like we have right. here right. or or just on, you know, Twitter or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Basically, the only time you were getting the attention or they were getting the attention they craved from being seen by people was to do a lot of those right. uh, shows, you know, to yeah, get their, to get their face out there. Yeah, right. That was their publicity machine, you know, it would be beyond the gong show. Or uh, or this <laughs> yeah. or that, you right. know what I mean? That was or yep. Carol Burnett, yeah. So the they match game, or anything. right? Exactly, you know. Yeah, I mean, especially those game shows where you knew every day mm-hmm. you were going to be on TV, right? You know, looking back, they're campy, 
But back well, then, it's like, well, I'm the top left corner on Hollywood Squares. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, whether people are like it or not, they're going to see me and remember me. Mm-hmm. And all it, all it takes is one person to see me to yep. put me in another movie or whatever. So, you know, True. it's well, and I know we don't have a huge audience, but I'm hoping that, you know, when someone, you know, because now I want to go back and I want to watch things. It's like, OK, I want to see I want to watch Ice Pirates and Spaceballs and see if I can find out. Yeah. Which which sets might have been borrowed if you can right. tell. I thought that's awesome. Know, it's like it, just having that appreciation that once you talk to someone and hear the story, now to go back and relook at it and look at it in a whole different light. You know, it's like okay, maybe you thought it sucked, but now when you go back and watch the Star Wars holiday special, you're like, oh, there's a pretty cool guy that wrote right. it. He's honest yeah. about it. Like, line look at it and like, okay, all right, it's the time. Like, yep, they were definitely smoking then, and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I, I <laughs> never you know, looked at it as a a bad thing it was always okay you get to you get but... to hear about how the sausage was made you know what i mean right Where, exactly. you know how, how they 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 tried to cut corners to save money by using a set that was on a similar project and mm-hmm. type of thing so that that's interesting stuff but, absolutely yeah. but uh very good yeah so it's been nice folks so thanks again for joining us uh for uh traveling through the 80s with the 80s kids this was another uh uh what are we calling it kyle What's spotlights Spotlight, Spotlight episode. Yeah. So, and then uh, we'll be coming back to you shortly with another one. Kyle has another one lined up, I assume. We, yeah, we've got some more coming. So, okay. Yep. And in the meantime, I think we're going to try to do a full, full on show mm-hmm. uh, soon. Yes. And I think we narrowed it down to was it the opening of Epcot? Yes, I believe that's where we're going. That's what we were going to do from 1982. So, so that'll be that'll yeah. be interesting as well. Yeah, should be so, fun. So, uh, thanks again for joining us. Uh, once again, I'm Rich Oliver, and always with, with is with me is Kyle Lentz and Don Brown here on traveling through the We're '80s. Good. Yeah, with the '80s kids. All right. Thanks for listening. This special episode of Traveling Through the '80s with the '80s Kids is brought to you by Mova Productions. Please listen to future episodes right here where you get your favorite podcasts.